alrighty. Um, we are still in the Sermon on the Mount, and this one's a little different because uh, last week we talked about this idea of hypocrisy, and we looked at Jesus speaking on um, how to have a consistent spiritual life, and how in doing that, in this desire to have a consistent spiritual life, to avoid hypocrisy, and how do we do that? Uh, and in the midst of that, in wedged right in the middle of it, Jesus kind of like, he pauses his train of thought, and he like pivots to give some of the most popular or, or well-known prayers and phrases, probably even outside of Christianity. Um, it, it's a very, very popular uh, section of scripture. Um, and so this week, we're going to look at that. We're still in Matthew 6, so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn them to Matthew 6, uh, that is where we're going to be this morning, and we're going to be starting in verse 9 in a little bit. Um, but I, And I say that this, this prayer and this, this Lord's Prayer is well known because uh, it, gets, it gets put in movies. So a lot of times when the character in a movie has this big spiritual awakening at the end, uh, the way that they highlight, oh man, they've made the connection, is they have them pray the Lord's Prayer. They say some portion of it. Um, it gets printed on like wall hangings and posters with the fun like waterfall or the praying hands in the background. Uh, and and it, gets, it gets set out as this kind of um, almost a, a mantra or a phrase or this, uh, this kind, kind of common thing that is just kind of in the culture even with and without outside the church. And Jesus' goal, however, in, in this prayer and in these words, it was not to give some like pithy throwaway oh you know oh here's a prayer if you need if you need one just shoot this up in a time of need that's not the goal of this um, he introduces the lord's prayer as as kind of the answer to the question that we that we posed last week how do we avoid hypocrisy like how can we avoid it how can we have a consistent spiritual life and he introduces the lord's prayer as kind of the answer to that. And he does it, one, to, again, build on that idea. How can I avoid hypocrisy? But the second is he does it to teach his people, people of the kingdom, people changed by Jesus, what is prayer? What is it? And why do we do it? And that's an important question to answer because Jesus has already told us that if you're people of the kingdom, you should be praying. You're praying people. <clears throat> so sandwiched, in between Jesus' warnings about hypocrisy, Jesus is going to try and teach this, this model prayer, a, an example of how you can pray. This is not a prescribed prayer. You don't have to say these exact words. But he's setting it up as if, if, if you want to know how to pray, here is some guidelines on, on how you can pray. And in teaching us how to pray, he's going to teach us about what prayer is. Um, and one of the things that we're going to find as we go about this is that it's actually a communal prayer. Um, a lot of the language inside of it is an us, an our, and it has to do with the group. And often it would be a, a prayer prayed by the group. And so this morning, um, if you would, we're going to, to read this prayer together. Uh, this is normally where I would say, okay, I would start reading and read through it. Uh, but it's going to be up behind me. And we're going to read through this prayer together this morning. So if you want to go ahead and pop it up there, let's read together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Um, we thank you that you are a God who, who loves us and, and gives us instruction, but also gives us an example of, of how we can live out that instruction. I pray that as we look at prayer today, that, that you would help us to seek to understand how prayer affects our lives. We thank you for your word. I pray that we would honor you with our time in it this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Last week, we discussed Jesus' warning against hypocrisy um, and the need for consistent spiritual life. Uh, and in that, we looked briefly at the need to avoid hypocrisy in prayer. And, and in short, with that, Jesus says, when we pray, we do not pray with the goal of, of having other people be impressed or so that way we'll be heard by more and more people. We don't pray so that way people will think that we're really good. Uh, and we don't have to create a whole bunch of phrases and words. We don't have to make up these, these big, long prayers in order to be heard by God. Uh, it, Jesus tells us not to pray like the hypocrites and the Gentiles. You don't need to do that, he says, because your Father in heaven already knows what you need. And if you hear that, that idea that the Father already knows what I need, if you hear that, and you go, well, wait, wait a minute. That that's, makes me stop for a second. Because wh what am I doing then? You don't pray so God will know what you need. <laughs> God knows what you need. He's, he's aware of it. Um, also, God is not sitting there waiting, going, man, if only I knew what was going on, and only I knew what that person needed right now, I wish they would tell me so that way I could maybe do something. That's not how it works. And you might hear that and you might go, well, I kind of know that. Like, I believe that God knows what I need. Like, I, I have that. But sometimes, and, and this is where I'm kind of talking to myself, sometimes when we think of prayer, we still act like that. Like, we still pray in a way that is, well, I need to let God know what I need here. I need to let him know what I'm happy that he already gave me so that way, you know, he can continue to know. But if God already knows what we need and God doesn't need us to pray to let him know, what is the point of prayer? And I don't say that in a, well, is, is this guy getting ready to tell me that there's no point in praying? Because that's, that's not what we're doing here today. Uh, Jesus has already said, when you pray, he's expecting us to be praying people. But if God already knows what we need, what's the point in prayer? What are we accomplishing? What does it do? Does prayer do anything? What is prayer and what is it for? That is what Jesus is going to try to answer with this prayer in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to answer the question, what is prayer and wh why do we do it? What is it for? Jesus gives us a model prayer to stand as an example for how a Christ follower, a member of the kingdom, someone who worships God, can pray. And I want to note, you, you can pray this prayer. It's good. It is not a prescribed thing. It is not saying, when you pray, repeat these words exactly every time. That's not the goal here. 
not a, not a bad one to pray, but it's an example of how we can pray. And the first thing that we see that prayer does is it focuses our attention on God and it rightly centers a correct view of the correct God. Verse 9 says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus tells them to pray to the Father who is in heaven. And he tells them this to stand in contrast to what he has just said a couple verses back. He just talked to them about the Gentiles and how they pray to these gods. And in order to be heard by these gods, they create fancy phrases and they make these big long words and they build it up. So that way, hopefully that God will hear them. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're praying to the one true God who already knows what you need. He's aware of it. And he can hear you. He, do, he doesn't need a bunch of words. That is the God that you pray to. That is the God that you focus on. And so, it, it's important to note that Jesus tells us when we pray, we're focusing on God. It's not blind, unfocused, mind-wandering prayer. We're not sitting there and just letting our mind wander and try to grab some. No, we're focused on God the Father. Much like if you're talking to someone and you're having a, com a conversation and you're communicating with them, you should be focusing on what they're saying. Listening, okay, what are they saying? What do I need to say next? How do I need to respond to what they've said? It's a conversation. It's you in communication with God your Father. And so Jesus says that, that this is the God who we are communicating with and none other. To the Israelite people, which again... Most of the people on this hillside at the time that Jesus is talking to, most of them are Israelite people. Uh, to them, they would not have been like, the, the idea of God as Father is not revolutionary to them. In the Old Testament, there's plenty of places that talk about God, the God of Israel, being the Father of the people of Israel. There's plenty of spots. So this idea is not what's, what's like, whoa, wait a minute, what's Jesus doing here? But in setting this pattern of calling on God as Father, Jesus is highlighting this personal relationship, this personal connection that we have with our God when we go to our God in prayer. He's, he's bringing up this idea of Father here specifically so that way we can go, okay, it's a personal connection that we're supposed to be making. Jesus sets this pattern, uh, and he tells us that our Father and his name is distinct from all others. Uh, Jesus prays that the Father's name would be hallowed. And if you hear that word hallowed and you go, what is that? We don't use that word today. Like, we don't walk around saying, well, hallowed. Like, it's not a word that we use a lot. And we don't see it a lot outside of, like, the word Halloween. The hallow there is from the same idea. It's set apart. It's different. Um, but this, this idea of hallowed, it, it really means that, that it's something that is respected and revered and set apart as something different and worthy of respect and awe. It's, it's, it's separate from. It's this idea, and it's related to the same idea of making something holy. If something is holy, it's set apart. It's distinct from all others. And so if the name of God, the name of the Lord is to be hallowed, it's to be respected, it's to be revered, and it's to be set apart as, as distinct from all others. So when we pray, we are not praying to God plus all these other things. We're not praying to the universe. We're praying to our God, the Father, alone. 
distinct from all others because of who he is. That is who we pray to. Quite literally, it's the idea um, that it is chief and greater than anything else that could be an option. And so when we pray to God, we do so with respect and awe and in a way that sets apart God as separate from all others. And I don't say that to mean that you have to like, okay, I really need to make sure all my ducks in a row and worry about the words. Jesus has just said, it's not about all the words you use. So this is not a, well, I got to make sure I get the right language. No, it's having enough respect to say, okay, I'm going to take this seriously enough to do it and be heartfelt and genuine and set God apart as separate from all others and pray to him alone. That's, that is the idea of, of making God's name hallowed. And what's wild, and, and the thing that's revolutionary in what Jesus says here, is he says that the name of the Father is what we set apart and make sacred. When we, when we pray to God, we do so with that respect that makes God distinct. But Jesus, in the next breath, says, he's our Father. He's near. That's huge. That, that's, that's a game changer. Because now you have a, a, a God who is distinct and separate and, and greater than all others who is willing to be called on as Father intimately in prayer. That's, that's big. And that's all just the opening. Like That's how Jesus opens this prayer. It's by getting our minds focused on a God who is distinct and holy from all others. And so Jesus moves from focusing on who God is into moving on to what does God care about? What are the desires of God? He says, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When he says your kingdom come, Jesus has been speaking of a kingdom that has arrived and is yet to come. So all through the Sermon on the Mount so far, Jesus has been telling them about this kingdom. And he, t he talks about it as if they can begin to experience it now on this earth. But then he also talks about it as if one day it's going to be fully realized. And he's told them, how do you live as members of the kingdom? What does your life look like? How do you love people as if you are a member of this kingdom? What do you care about? That's what he has done so far in this sermon. And now, in the middle of telling them about hypocrisy, beginning of this prayer, he prays, your kingdom come. Jesus includes it in this model prayer, and he, and he prays that God's kingdom would be fully realized and arrive in full here now. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. And we hear that, and we go, okay. What would that even look like? And I'm not talking about what we can read in Scripture about the, the trumpet sounding and the second coming. And we can read about the creation of, of the new earth and the new kingdom. We can read about those things. But what does it look like if that, that kingdom is fully realized now? What would that look like? And Jesus gives us kind of a hint and an answer. He says, that we should pray that the kingdom would arrive in full on this earth as it is being fully realized in heaven. And the idea is this. God's will is being accomplished in heaven right now. It is, it is ongoing and it is being accomplished in heaven. 
And sometimes God's will is being accomplished on this earth. And I'm not saying like there's things outside God's will, but the things God desires and the things he loves and takes delight in, sometimes those things are being accomplished on this earth through the Holy Spirit, through the work of the saints in the church. But if you look around, you will, it doesn't take long to realize that sometimes God's desires are not being accomplished right now. Like there are things that are happening that are not pleasing to God. And so when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what it looks like is what we see in heaven for that to be what we see now here on this earth. That's what it would look like. And if you want an example of that, Revelation 22 gives us a picture of what this looks like when, God, when, when the worship and praise and the glorification of God is fully realized amongst his people on earth together. And Jesus says that we should pray for that to arrive. We look forward to it. We look forward to that day. But Jesus tells us to pray for it. Father, may your will be done here in my life today on this earth as I know it's being done in heaven right now. May they look the same. And we pray this knowing full well that God already knows what we need. <laughs> He knows. He's not shocked. He's not like, well, thank you for telling me what my will is so that way I can do it. We do this to interact with our God. And so then the question is, well, how do we get there? Like, how do we begin to make things on this earth look like they do in heaven? And we know that that, that is going to come in full in the future one day, but we can begin that process now, and here's why. When we, when we pray for God's kingdom to come in full here on this earth, and his will to be done on earth as we know it is being done in heaven, and we are focused on a God who is distinct and worthy and set apart and loving, we begin to be shaped by prayer. And this is what Jesus is going to move into in the last part. So what is the point of prayer? The point of prayer is it changes us. It does something to us. When we pray for God's will to be done, we're molded by God. We're molded by the Holy Spirit's work in our lives through prayer to seek to have God's will done. Because when we're sitting there, it's like, God, may your will be done. I, please let, let me and the things I do today be pleasing to you. May they be, may they be in line with your desires. As we pray that, it should carry over into our lives in the things we do. And so then as we begin to live out that desire, it begins to make these little pockets on earth look a little more like the kingdom to come. That's what Jesus is getting at. He's trying to get us to realize that the way that we can change something is not by just buckling down. It's by pouring our heart out to our God, our Father. We're going to find as we do so, as the psalmist says in Psalm 39, when the Lord is our delight, we will find we have the desire of our heart. When God is our chief delight, the thing that we desire above all others, we're going to find that desire. We're going to be satisfied with it. We focus on God in prayer. The more time we spend with the Father, the more we care about the things of the Father, the more our lives should begin to look like we're living in a kingdom run by the Father. If that's the thing that we spend time caring about, it should spill over into our lives. And Jesus opens this model prayer focusing on the Father. That's what he's done so far giving praise to, aligning our desires to the Father's will, 
And this might feel different. You might hear that and you go, well, I mean, I, I like thank God. But sometimes like, I don't sit there and just in my prayer spend time thinking about who God is, who this father is. A lot of times when we pray, we're either thanking God for something we have or we're letting God know what we need so that way he can go ahead and give it to us one day. We, we sometimes interact with prayer in a way that prompts God or thanks God for the way he responded to our prompt in the past. And Jesus says, pray to God. Give God the praise for who God is. Align your will to the will of God, magnifying God's name through kingdom living. It should change you. That's a change. And it correctly aligns our motives with the motives of God in prayer, which is exactly what Jesus is talking about in the intro to this. Our Father in heaven Hallowed be your name. Let's focus on God so that way the things we care about look more like what God cares about. But what about the rest of it? He continues into kind of the, the what next part of the prayer. In verse 11, he says, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to note here, before we continue, he says, give us this day our daily bread. This is not praying for a million dollars. This is not praying for a third car, just in case. This is not praying for all the extra things that we might want. You can do that. Like, that's fine. Take those things to God. But what Jesus is talking about here is praying daily for what we need to be able to go about kingdom living. So when you ask yourself, well, what... What is, what is the thing that I need to go about living for the kingdom today? That is daily bread. And, and to a group of people who very likely lived every day, day to day, not knowing if they're going to have bread for tomorrow. Remember, the, the, a lot of these folks are poor. They don't have the next day figured out. The idea of daily bread is real to them. They're like, yeah. And hey, Jesus... I kind of still need to go get tomorrow taken care of, so like, let's go. <laughs> it's real to them, the idea that they might not have bread for tomorrow. And so Jesus says, no, let God know about that. God, give us today our daily bread. Give us today what we need and the means to get what we need tomorrow. And I want a second note here that this prayer, this give us our... It's not about me, 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 give me. It's a group. Give us this day our daily bread. And I think the reason is this. If we are living kingdom lives, if we're, if we're living lives motivated by love, changed by Jesus, and we're praying for God to accomplish his God, God's loving will on earth as it is in heaven, if we have our daily bread met, and we read that and we go, well, I mean, I'm actually all good on that. Like, I, I feel like I'm equipped. It's not now pointless to you. What about your neighbor? Do they have theirs met? Do they have what they need to be equipped to go about their kingdom work tomorrow? We might be the way God answers someone's prayer for daily bread. 
How can we help someone with what they need? Remembering that Jesus has just previously talked about giving to those in need. He's not off topic. He's building on what he's already said. And we do so knowing that we have our daily bread, what we need, provided from God the Father. And so when we give to a person, we do as an extension of what the Father has given us, that they may praise him as well. Jesus also includes uh, in this prayer, a prayer for our debts to be forgiven. And while some look at this and they point to our need to not hold payment over someone, he owes me 40 bucks, but you know what? I'm going to let it go because, you know, I'm going to forgive him his debts. That's good, but it's much more than that. The idea of, of, of debt in Jewish thinking at the time, if you sinned against someone, if you committed a wrong against someone, you have been put in their debt because they expected you to pay restitution in some way. Like, I sorry is good, but they expected you need to do something. And so you have been put in their debt. And so when Jesus is saying, like, forgive us our debts, he's first highlighting we have done some wrong <laughs> to God through sin. Even if we have been saved and changed by Jesus, we're still going to continue. And so we, we have some, <laughs> some asking of forgiveness to do. It's okay. And you don't do that for fear of, well, if I don't, I'm not going to be forgiven. No, you are forgiven. But as we're going to see, you do this because of the relationship that it upholds. Jesus' words about forgiving someone their debts has spiritual ramifications. It's so much more than just make sure we pay everything that we've borrowed. We seek the forgiveness of God the Father. When we wrong someone, if we do something that harms someone... We seek forgiveness from them in order to restore that relationship to what it once was. Sometimes it's even better off after. That's the goal of, of seeking forgiveness, seeking to forgive someone. So too, we seek the forgiveness of our Father to restore that relationship. I've done wrong. I'm working on it, <laughs> but, but I need you to forgive me, please. It restores that relationship. We're already saved. And in modeling that, we seek this forgiveness of our God. We can begin to model it in our interactions with each other, forgiving those to whom we expect a debt paid. Say, no, 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 I forgive you. And as we begin to do that and we model it, we're going to change our, the community around us. It's going to be a community of forgiveness rather than saying, well, yeah, but, but you don't know what he did. I don't. I don't know. And I'm not saying it's easy. Some, some things are incredibly, incredibly hard to forgive. But note that this is something we pray about. We take it and say, God, it's tough. I don't even know if I can forgive this person right now. Your father wants to hear that. He wants to hear from you about that. And, and I'm willing to bet 
that when we are asking God for forgiveness for ourselves, and when we are seeking God's forgiveness in our lives, and we are focusing on a God who forgives others, it's going to move us toward forgiving those who have done things against us. It's not going to be instantaneous, but if we continue to reflect and, and spend time with a Father who has forgiven us of so much, it, in time it will move us towards forgiving those who have done wrong against us. Last in this section, we're to pray to be delivered from temptation. Temptations are going to arrive. Uh, it, it's part of the human experience on earth right now. And, and Jesus himself, two chapters back, was tempted. So this is not like, well, if you're tempted, you've goofed it all. Like, that's not the point. Jesus himself was tempted. The prayer, then, is to be delivered from the temptation. It does not mean, well, I, I won't ever go through it. I'm going to avoid it entirely. No. It, it's the prayer that when we are tempted, we are able to resist the sin that the temptation is leading us toward. And functionally, here's how that works. Because you might hear that and go, okay, so I'm tempted, and then I, God, please don't let me be tempted. And then you sit there, and it's like, well, I'm still tempted. What do I do? Uh, functionally, we have this example of Jesus that when we are focused on the things of God, when we're spending time with our Father, and we're focused on God, and focused on God's desires, and focused on the kingdom living, God begins to mold our lives through prayer. Because when Jesus was tempted, he didn't just go, okay, I'm being tempted by Satan right now. I better. He quoted scripture. <laughs> he spent time reflecting on who his father was. In that moment, right when he was faced with the temptation. That's okay. So when you're tempted, next time, run to something. Don't just ask to not be and then sit there and, okay, well, run to something. And allow God to change you through the work of the Spirit as you do so. Through prayer, God equips us to resist temptation. I want to note real quick before we go to this like kind of connecting piece that Jesus does. I want to note uh, some manuscripts for the Gospel of Matthew, they include a summary statement to this prayer. A kind of amen, if you will. Um, and that statement would read, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I want to say this. This closing statement is good. It's not a bad statement. It's actually, it's even a good thing to pray for. Because it is God's kingdom. It is his power. And the glory does belong to him. Like, those are all real and good things. And if you look in your Bible, you might even say, well, I mean, my Bible has that. And some of you might go, oh, no, yeah, he's right. Like, I've heard that before, but it's not in there. Here's what's going on. As people study this, they go, there's old manuscripts that maybe didn't have it. And so they're trying to revert back to what was the original here? It's not that, it's not that the rest is bad. It's just they're, they're attempting to try to get close to the original. And so if your Bible doesn't have it, it's okay. And if your Bible has it, it's okay. <laughs> it's fine. Because the point is this. It doesn't change the prayer, and it doesn't change Jesus' point which is that this is an example prayer to highlight our need to focus on God in prayer, draw near to God, and allow God to change our desires and in turn change the things we care for and how we live. That is what prayer is for. That's why we do it.
Jesus follows his example prayer then with a statement about forgiveness. So he, he gives this prayer. He says, pray then like this. He gives the Lord's Prayer. And now he's going to give an example of, well, how does this play out? If this is how you should pray, how does this play out in your lives and in your community? And he gives an example about forgiveness. Verse 14 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You might read that and you go, well, I like, I like that first part about being forgiven. I really like that one. But the, I wish Jesus would have like stopped and just kept going because that second bit, I don't know how I feel about. And so it's important to read this in light of the Lord's Prayer that he has just given. Because at first glance, it seems like if we are unwilling to forgive someone, God's saying, no, I will not forgive you. But keep in mind that just like Jesus' language in the prayer about forgiving debts, it is in reference to restoring a relationship. He is not talking about salvation in the prayer. He's talking about keeping that relationship real and in right standing. And so if we are unwilling to restore a relationship through forgiveness, there is going to be an ongoing problem between you and that person. It's just, it's, it will exist. You'll be upset with them, and they either will be upset with you or have no idea why you're upset. And from what I can tell, the longer that that goes on, the worse it gets. And so we forgive to restore that relationship. But here's the problem. If we go on continuing to not forgive, God has forgiven them. And so we are saying, yeah, but God, what they did is so much worse than what you have forgiven me of. And now there's a breach in the relationship with our God. Because we're, we're claiming something about what we believe is just. We are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Our ability to forgive someone does not save us. Our ability to forgive someone is a result of having been saved by Jesus. And that's what G Jesus is getting at here, is when we are, are reflecting on the forgiveness of God, forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors, and we're thinking about that, and we're spending time drawing near to a God who forgives, how can, how can we not in time forgive those who have wronged us? And I don't say that to say it's easy, I don't say that to say, well, you know, just pray it and it's done. Like, just go do it. It's hard, especially when stuff is bad. But the point is, when it's difficult, take it to your Father. Forgive us our debts. Help me to forgive those who, who have sinned against me. I'm struggling to do it right now. Take that to God. He wants to hear it. He's bigger than that. He's forgiven a lot more than that. If you're dwelling on God and his kingdom and seeking daily bread and seeking to be in right relationship with God and spending time with God, the people around us, and we're trying to avoid sin in our lives as best we can, and that starts to change us, how can it not in time move us to forgive? It will. Jesus took time in the middle of speaking about hypocrisy to highlight the need and importance 
for prayer. And he did that to answer the question we, we raised last week. How do we avoid hypocrisy? How do we have a consistent spiritual life that brings glory to God and, it, and there's no hypocrisy in it? And Jesus' answer is, y'all pray about it. Because as you pray, you are changed. The Holy Spirit uses our prayer to then mold us more into the likeness of our God. That is, why do we pray? God already knows. God knows what we need. <laughs> prayer is not so God knows how God can help us. It is not so God knows how happy we are. Those things are good. Let him know. Absolutely. <laughs> but at the end of the day, that's not like the goal of it. Because God already knows those things. He does. It's okay to tell him. But he does already know them. Our prayers do not change who God is. They change who we are. Our prayers do not change who God is. They, they change who we are. Because when we are focused on the things of God, praying for the will of God, praying that the kingdom would be made real now as it is in heaven, seeking the desires of God, and we're drawing near, prayer changes us because we care more about the things that we're praying about. We will. When our hearts are focused on God, our treasure will follow. Jesus is getting ready in the sermon to, to hit that note. What we care about is where our treasure is at. And so prayer is an opportunity to recenter ourselves on who God is and what God cares about and in turn take it from there and seek to live out those desires that we now have aligned ourselves.